Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors here. It's uh, good to be with you guys. If you would open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 1, we're continuing in our series on prayer. And I'm going to shift the focus this morning um, uh, a little bit away from what we've been talking about the last few weeks, and Matt's been doing such an excellent job of teaching, which obviously is already bearing great fruit. And I'm going to just shift it now, and we are going to actually shift for the next couple of weeks in focus as we pray, as we uh, study prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm shifting it from our, our standing and our privilege, which is what Matt has been emphasizing, to now our responsibility and our calling in prayer. From our standing and our privilege now toward our responsibility and our calling. And this morning I'm going to teach on something that for some of you will be new and maybe even uh, something you've not heard taught before. But I want to teach this morning on our spiritual authority as we pray. And I'm going to define what I mean by that, because that even might be a foreign uh, couple of words to you, spiritual authority. Father, I pray this morning that my words would be your words. I pray that what you have taught me as I've walked with you and as I have been able had to have the privilege to lead for many years, that you would give me language to help encourage and strengthen this local church. We pray that we would grow up in all things into Christ. And we pray, Lord, in light of the days in which we live, that we would be faithful to our calling. We weren't saved into a vacuum, Father. We weren't saved into some sort of a static existence. But Lord, we were saved into an eternal destiny and purpose in Christ. What an amazing reality. Lord, there's so much mystery in all of this. So we ask today, Spirit of God, that you would instruct us and help us to understand, we pray these things. For the glory of Christ, in his name we ask it, Father. Amen. I want to just look at Acts 1, a couple of verses quickly. Reminding you that the end of Luke was going to be is very similar. The last few verses of Luke are very similar because Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. So if we look at Acts 1, <clears throat> verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive, listen, power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, power, Holy Spirit witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. And then verse 9, it seems like it's tacked on, but this is the whole point this morning. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And they were standing, gazing into heaven as he went. 
And behold, two men stood behind them in white robes and said, What are you looking at? Why are you standing looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And it's almost as though the angels are saying, get about the work now. Get about the work. Why are you standing here? Get about the work that you've been commissioned to, that they'd already heard the commissioning very clearly, having been given to them already. We have to settle, first of all, this morning that... We have, we have to settle in our minds and hearts that we have authority spiritually. An authority that has, and this is the key, that has its origin in the authority of Christ himself. We don't have any problem believing the Lord Jesus had authority when he was on the earth. Spiritual authority. Great authority. We saw it in his, in his ability to heal sickness, and he always, always viewed sickness as an enemy of man. It was not just a condition that people had to live and deal with. When he dealt with sickness, he viewed it as an enemy to man. It was the result of the fall, and he knew it. We see it very clearly in his willingness and his ability to set men and women free from demonic influence in varying degrees and in varying forms. And we saw it most clearly in his willingness and his ability, this is amazing, to forgive sin. And so it was clear through the, in the life of Jesus that his mission was to make known the presence of God's eternal kingdom having come in his person. That through his work, and through his presence, his existence, his person on the earth, something that was eternal, not just eternal to come, but eternal had already been from all eternity, something eternal had come to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And in Luke 17, it was interesting, the Pharisees asked him, they said, when will the kingdom come? And how will the kingdom come? And he said, well, I'm going to tell you that it is not going to come the way that you expect it. And then he says this, in fact, it's already in your midst. It's already here. You just can't see it. You don't understand it and you don't have eyes to see it. God's eternal reign, God's eternal reign had broken into a fallen and dying world in the person of Jesus Christ. And for three and a half years, or however long it was, from Luke 4, when he stood in a synagogue in Capernaum, and I was there, I saw that ruins of that synagogue. Jesus stood in a synagogue and preached in Luke 4, quoting out of Isaiah 61, and then three and a half later, years later, he was nailed to a cross. In those three and a half years, he showed any who could see what this eternal kingdom was like, what it looked like, and what its life was like. What was the essence of it? What was the heart of it? The compassion of it? Matt has given us a working definition of the kingdom of God. 
as we taught through Matthew, and I'm going to take it and tweak it a little bit. He said that it, the kingdom is God's rule and reign over a place and a people. And I will add, who live in obedience to his precepts, which results in his presence and his power being revealed. Peace. The kingdom is the rule and reign over a place and a people who live in obedience to the precepts of God, which results in the presence of God and the power of God being made known. In other words, it's tangible. In other words, it can be experienced by people in the world in which we're living. Do you believe that? Yes. We have to. And this kingdom was so clearly seen through the life of Jesus Christ, and it must be evident through our lives as well. And what I want to teach this morning is about the authority that we have in the name of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, I'm going to just teach a little bit of theology to you and remind us of a very important neglected aspect of the gospel. There are usually three parts of the gospel that are emphasized, and rightly so. Christ crucified, Christ dead and buried, and Christ risen. But I want to say to you that the fourth truth of the gospel is as important and maybe more important in the, real, in the truth of what it means for us to live it out, and that is Christ ascended. Christ crucified, dead, buried, raised, and ascended. And I think I went through this when I was teaching through Acts. We were in Acts. Peter preached this when he preached the gospel in Acts 2. He didn't forget the ascended. Because the ascended is the key to the authority that we now have on the earth in his name. The Spirit was sent because Christ had ascended. That's why the Spirit came. It's because Jesus was no longer here, and the Spirit came, and the Spirit released the power of God. And so I'll make this very simple but very important statement that the ascension, the ascension is the basis of the authority that is found in the name of Jesus Christ. The authority that is in the name of Jesus is due to his ascension. It is what now gives us the right to do whatever we do on the earth that makes any difference regarding the eternal realm of God having come. Whenever anything happens that is eternal through what we do, through loving someone that is unloved, through, through caring for someone that is uncared for, through healing someone who is sick, through freeing someone who is oppressed, through preaching, whatever it may be, it's, it, the authority of it is due to the name of Christ, the Ascended One. And a really simple and maybe kind of a goofy example of it would be like a policeman who lives in Manhattan. And he stands at one of the busiest intersections of Manhattan and he directs traffic every day. And one morning he gets up and he decides he's going to wear his Hawaiian shirt that day and his board shorts and his flip-flops to work because it's a hot summer day. So he goes out and he stands in the middle of the intersection with his, his Hawaiian shirt, board shorts, and flip-flops on. 
And he walks out into the middle of the cars going like this, and he tries to direct the traffic, and people are looking at him. Who is this nut? Who's this crazy guy? But if he were to go out there in his uniform that has a badge on it that says, I have the authority that has been given to me to tell you to stop. And he puts his arm out, his hand out, and what would they do? They would stop. What's the difference between the Hawaiian shirt and the uniform? One represents authority that's been given. How do you view yourself on the earth? How do you see yourself? How do you see what you have been given? Do you understand? Do you recognize any kind of authority that you have? Let me read a couple of quotes to you about the ascension by some men of God. When you went to bed last night, this is a man named Tim Chester. When you went to bed last night, Jesus was at work subduing his enemies. While you slept, he was continuing to rule over the world. And he was still at it when you woke up this morning. And even now as you hear this or read this, that's still going on. This is the outrageous claim of the ascension. The authority of Christ. Subduing, ruling over the earth and over the, his enemies. Oswald Chambers said this, At his ascension, our Lord entered heaven, and he keeps the door open for humanity to enter. The importance of the ascension and the work of Christ. A man named David Mathis said it this way, the ascension reminds us that Christianity is not only a historical faith, but a faith of the present and future. Jesus is right now in glorified humanity, amazing, on the throne of the universe, wielding as the God-man all authority in heaven and on earth. He is not just our suffering servant who came and died and rose triumphant, but our actively ruling, actively conquering king. Often when I pray, I address him as the ascended one. You see, the reason that he is Lord is because he has ascended. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and now he is ruling and reigning over all of creation from that place in heaven. Amazing. We know that when he died, he died as a man. We know that when he was raised from the dead, he was raised with a different body. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, it was a spiritual body. That's the word he uses. What was ascended? It was that body. It was a body that they could touch, that disciples could touch. It was a body that they could commune with, and he actually ate with them, with that raised spiritual body. But it was not flesh and blood like ours. It was a different realm of existence. And that's what he continues to rule and reign through and in, in heaven. What happened at Christ's ascension? 
Hebrews 4.14 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest, listen, who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Who passed through the heavens. Interesting term. What does that mean? He passed through the heavens. Well, he passed through the first heaven, which is simply our atmosphere. And then he passed through the second heaven. And we know the second heaven, Paul teaches us this, the second heaven is where the spiritual uh, reality, it's called, he calls it the heavenly places where spiritual forces of evil abide in Ephesians 6. There's a realm that is somewhere where there are spiritual forces that have gathered together to destroy man and to fight against the will of God, and he passed from the earth, through the atmosphere, through that second heaven. Now, this is true to the third heaven, whatever that is, and wherever that is, where Paul himself was taken one time, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, that he actually saw where God himself is. Does that mean that it's higher up? Is it outside of the galaxy? We don't know. Or is it just simply another realm? But Jesus passed through, interesting, the heavens. Why is that important? Ephesians 4 tells us this, that he led a host of captives as he ascended, and he gave gifts to men. He led a host of captives through the heavens, the first and the second to the third, as he ascended. Who were the captives? We don't know exactly. All kinds of commentators debate it. It could be, and I think it myself, it might be, those who were raised at the resurrection, saints from the Old Testament who were raised from the dead at the resurrection of Christ, whom he then took with him to the third heaven. Those who had been waiting, having died in faith in the Old Testament, were then brought with Christ, and he led them through that realm. And gifts were given because of this ascension. What gifts? Gifts of grace. The gifts of grace of God. The grace of God. The gifts of the Spirit, if you would call them that. But grace in all of its abundance was given because Christ rose and ascended through the heavens. It speaks of his supremacy of his ability to to care for all of creation. Colossians 2.15, one of my favorite texts regarding this truth. Paul says this, he disarmed, I love this, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He passed through their realm victorious, into his victorious, triumphant, ascended life. And it's the picture of a, of a, of a great uh, ruler coming into the city, having destroyed the enemy, and behind him, all of his captives and all of the bounty of the enemy into the city, humiliating them, having taken from them whatever they wanted and now bringing into their own treasure chest. 
That's the picture of Christ disarming, disarming them. If you've ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, when Aslan was raised after he had been killed and he had been tied down and he was dead, and as he began to move, the little critters that were around him were crying out, oh no, he's still alive. He's still alive. Christ, the victorious, triumphant king. This is the king. This is the one whom we serve. And then Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. I'm going to read this. Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. Very familiar prayer. Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you are called in verse 18. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now listen, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The rest of this prayer now is ascension prayer language, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named. There it is. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things. Why? To the church. Get on with it. Why are you staring into heaven? Get on with it. And gave them, put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. An ascension prayer, a lordship prayer, an authority of understanding the name of Christ prayer. Oh, Paul says, if only you could see it. Oh, if you only understood it, it would change your life. And it would certainly change the life of someone else whom you interact with. Instead of running around the earth with your flip-flops and board shorts, you put on your uniform spiritually because you know who you are and you live according to who you are. Daniel saw this incredible truth centuries before, centuries before, one night in a vision. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. This is Daniel speaking. He says, and I saw in the night visions. And behold, this is interesting. Listen, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man. Let me ask you, how did he leave in in Acts 1? In a cloud. What is Daniel seeing? He's seeing one coming now in the clouds of heaven like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. And he came to the ancient of days. And he was presented before him. This is a picture of Christ having come now, having ascended, coming into the throne room of God before the ancient of days to be seated in all of his authority. And now listen to what he says in verse 17, Daniel 7, 17. 
Oh, excuse me, 14, Daniel 7, 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Why? That all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one, say this with me, that shall not be destroyed. Notice, brothers and sisters, the issue is one of dominion. And it is tied to a triumphant ascension. Where did we first hear the word dominion in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1. When God gave to Adam and Eve dominion to rule, to care for all of the creatures and all of the earth. What is it that Daniel sees? One who has been given dominion, an eternal dominion, and now has given responsibility to those that believe in him. That's why his name is a name that is above every other name. And the New Testament writers emphasize this again and again and again and again. Now, so when we talk about praying in the name of Jesus, and that's what the whole point of this morning is, it isn't simply to say that we identify with this man named Jesus Christ and we're, we're also calling ourselves Christians because we follow him. That's, it, of course, says that, but it's saying so much more. It's saying we understand who he is. We understand his triumph. We understand his present rule and reign. And we understand who we are. And we understand what we've been called to. And we understand the authority that we've been given to live this out on this earth. The name of Jesus. The victory of Christ. The ascended Lord. And so there are so many texts in the New Testament that speak about the name of Christ. Let me just read a few. John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may believe, listen to these words, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and now listen, and that by believing you may have life. How? In his name. Acts 3, 6. This is an amazing text. But Peter said, to a man, listen, a man that was born lame, a man who had sat beside a gate his whole life. Now, how old is he? We don't know. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. I don't know. We don't know how old he is. He had to be carried everywhere. Someone had to bring him his food. Someone had to help him when he needed to use the bathroom. Someone had to bathe him. His whole life, he was born that way. He sat there and begged. Someone brought him and put him by, by the temple entrance so he could beg in Jerusalem. And he begged every day just to survive and live. Jesus must have walked past him multiple times. Didn't heal him. For some reason, this is the reason. 
Peter and John come upon him in Acts 3, and he does the same thing to them that he does to everyone else. Please, please, please help me. Please. And it says in Acts 3 that, Jesus, that Peter fixed his gaze on him. I'm going to talk about that at some point in the future. He fixed his gaze upon him. And he came in his own heart to an understanding of what God wanted to do. And he knew who he was. He knew the authority he had been given. He understood it. And he says to this man, I don't have any silver or gold to give you. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man leapt to his feet. Never walked in his whole life. In the name of the ascended one, the victorious one, the one who has overcome the power of death, the one who rules and reigns in heaven right now, the one whom I serve, the one who has given me now the privilege and the, and the right and the responsibility to speak in the name of Christ, whatever it is that he wants to do on the earth now, I, have been, I understand that and I am doing that for you. I'm giving you something in his name. And then in Acts 4, we know they were threatened by the, by the rulers of the city. And so they said to them, to the rulers, as Peter and John are brought before them in Acts 4.10, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel, that, listen, that by the name, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. It's by the name of Jesus. It wasn't us. It wasn't anything that we could do. It was the power of the name of Christ. But we understand that what he wants to do is set and heal, set free and heal. And so we just simply obeyed. But it was his authority and his power in his life. They prayed in Acts 4 after they went back to the, all of the disciples. And as they prayed, they prayed this in Acts 4.30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Signs and wonders through the name. And then Acts 8.12. I love this one. Just a few examples of the name and the, and the understanding of the authority of the name of Christ. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. They must have taught them about the name. I wonder how many sermons you've sat in where you were taught about the name of Christ. How come we neglect this? It's, it's, it shows that we neglect it. It's evident that we neglect it. Because we're like that goofy policeman. Does he have any authority in himself to stop a car? No. It's an authority that he's been given that stops the car because of the uniform, because of him knowing who he is. And it's recognized. In Acts 19, 13, this is an interesting counter-argument. Some itinerant Jewish exorcist undertook 
to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. What happened to them? They got beat up. They tried to somehow magically use the name of Jesus. There must be something if I just say this. If I just say the name of Jesus. No, that's not what it is. It's understanding the authority of it, the, the lordship of Christ, submitting to that lordship, believing in the lordship, and living in obedience to him as Lord, and then living in obedience on the earth. There's where the authority is, not simply using it magically. Tacking it on to the end of a prayer. Are you with me? Yes. We have to understand what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. To pray in the name of Jesus is an acknowledgement of the believer's position in Christ and an understanding that our prayers are heard as we approach the throne of grace, which is what Matt's been teaching, it is in obedience to the command of Jesus to pray in the name of God and to pray in the name of Jesus Christ because we cannot pray in our own standing. We have to pray in his standing. I have no standing. You have no standing before God apart from Christ. And so we stand in Christ and we pray. But there is power in praying in the authority of Jesus Christ by the authority that he has given us, consistent with his character, his desire, his life, his love, his will. Brothers and sisters, there are people in this room right now who have seen people set free from years of demonic affliction by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. There are people in this room right now who have seen demons leave people convulsing on the floor and the people come to their right senses because of the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. There are people in this room who have seen people healed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And of course, there are people in this room who have seen people saved because of the power of the name of Christ being preached. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying with this, this understanding in our hearts. And it's this, this prayer of, of a heart. It's, Father, I come before you, not in my own power, not in my own righteousness, or not in my own capability, but I come before you, Father, in the authority of Jesus, your Son, who gave me access in this faith in which I stand because of his blood. I come on the merits of Jesus, not on my own merits. And Father, I believe and I understand that you have given me a great responsibility and a great calling on the earth to continue this work of the kingdom. And as we pray in his name, we are praying not only with his authority, but we are praying, listen, in our authority as redeemed men. 
We're praying not only with his authority, but we're praying in our authority as redeemed men. What I'm teaching you this morning, our dear cessationist brothers would not understand nor agree with. Because they believe that the works of power and the miraculous works of the Spirit would have ended with the apostles' death. But obviously, there's no reason in Scripture to think that, I believe. And then our dear brothers and sisters that are extreme in the Pentecostal or charismatic movement will take these things and they'll run with them into some aberrant practices. Like Matt said last week, this is not a faith message of name it and claim it. Whatever we want to happen, we can say it. That's not the point. Somewhere in between nothing and too much is the right understanding. And see, the sad thing is that's the missing link in much of the church. This healthy, godly, biblical, full-orbed understanding of these truths is, is sadly neglected in the church today. And so even in our own context, we have people who have come into this church from a, I don't believe that any more of the gifts exist at all, to some who have come out of some very extreme expressions who are saying, why aren't we doing this, 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 and this? My point today is, my prayer today, my hope today is that we would grow up in understanding who we are, who he is first, what he has done, what he's accomplished, this amazing reality that he is, that he's ascended through the heavens and he's seated at the right hand of the father and beneath his feet have been put everything, everything has been put underneath his feet. It's not yet finished fully. It won't be until he returns, but he is Lord. And let me tell you that the, the demonic and the principalities and the powers understand that and they know that. And they know when you know. And they know when you don't know. They know when you know. And I have prayed for people. And I have seen the demonic know that I knew when it finally dawned on me that I knew. And they know, they knew that I knew and that changed everything because they have to obey his name. They have to. Sickness can be healed because it's an enemy of man. It won't be perfect in this life. But there can be substantial healing in the name of Jesus for people. If we understand who we are and how to pray. I always tell Kath, I always say, babe, when I'm really sick, I want somebody that knows how to pray to pray for me. I want somebody who understands what I'm saying today to pray for me. I don't want any, and this is not being unkind. I don't want somebody coming over and praying prayers of like, oh, please help him, Lord. He's so deserving. You know, he's a good man. He's a man. I, don't want, I want somebody to pray for me and say, in the name of Jesus, 
In the name of Jesus, I, I, I speak the power of that name and healing to your body, to your soul, to your heart. I want somebody to pray that way for me. I pray for myself like that all the time. I do. I do. I put my hands on myself. I do. I'm not kidding you. And man, I love my wife so much. I'm telling you what, man. But when I pray for her, there's not a loving affection. It's like, let's war here. Let's, let's not, that's maybe too extreme. Let's contend. Let's contend right here. As image bearers, and I'm closing with this, as image bearers, as image bearers and representatives of God on earth, this is an amazing reality. Redeemed man has by his prayers the power to determine the history of the earth. As image bearers and representatives of God on earth, as the church of Jesus Christ on the earth, redeemed man, we, we, redeemed men and women, have by our prayers the power to determine the history of the earth. Do you believe that? And it isn't just in praying for people, but it's also in praying for the will of God, for the purposes of God, for this nation, for whatever it is that God puts in our hearts to pray for as we contend in faith for God's will to be done. It's praying knowing that our prayers have the ability to change the course of history for generations. There is no reason for us to live in fear or in hesitancy or in unbelief. I mean, we all deal with all of those things, obviously. But may God rise up in us. When we were singing this morning, I just felt, Lord, arise, arise. As Nathaniel saying that, arise, I'm thinking, Lord, arise, arise, O oh God, in your church. You, you, Lord, awaken us, awaken us. As you can see, I'm passionate for this. Because I really believe, brothers and sisters, this is what we need today, 21st century. This is what is needed on the earth, and this is what needed in Sacramento, is a people like us who understand this and who begin to move in love and in compassion and in power in the authority that's in the name of Christ. Stand with me if you would. I want to read as I close a text that's, it must have been something that the early church read uh, repeatedly. Because it's in Paul's writing as a, almost like a doxological statement, right in the middle of his first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3. He says in 1 Timothy 3.14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, Timothy. I hope I can come soon. But I'm writing these things so that you'll know, if I delay, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then he says this, probably singing something that they sang all the time. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. 
He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Lord, we stand before you, risen one, the ascended Lord of heaven and earth. And Lord, we know that though you have not emotion like ours, you don't hope the way we hope. Because you know all things before they even happen from beginning to end. But we know, Lord, that you are jealous in an amazing way for your church, that she would become all that you have created her to be. And Lord, just as it took the Holy Spirit coming and falling upon a group of fishermen and tax collectors and political zealots and women and all sorts of different types of people from different backgrounds and opening their eyes to see who they were, so it is necessary for us in our day. That Spirit of God, you would fall upon us afresh. That you would visit us, O oh Lord, with your power from on high. And that you would awaken our hearts to the truth. First of all, Lord, of who you are. Of the incredible finality of your victory. And then, Lord, you would awaken our hearts to who we are. Thank you for grace, Lord. You are so patient with us. You're so kind to us. You're so gentle with us in our immaturity. But Father, I believe that it is time for the church. We know that it's always that way, but we know now, maybe more than ever before in our lives, it's time for the church to rise up and take her rightful place in this city and upon this earth. Lord, we call upon your name today. Oh God, we call upon you. We believe in you. As we've already declared countless times this morning, we believe in you, Lord. We love you. And we need you. Teach us, oh Lord, these things. And we pray that you would break in, oh God, sovereignly, and that we would see supernatural acts of power. People being healed. People being freed. People's minds being healed. People coming to faith who have been hard in heart. Yes. Lord, the prodigals returning because of how we are praying. Yes. But Lord, that things would change in the spirit realm above us. Because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But we contend, Lord, with those spiritual forces of wickedness in the authority of the name of Christ. Not in our own. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to contend in faith. Teach us, Lord, how to dig in and how to not let go. How to pray with specificity. How to pray with earnestness. How to pray, Lord, prayers that continue to beat on the door of heaven. But, Lord, with great faith, with great boldness, not with wishful thinking, 
Not with, Lord, just a, oh, please help me because I'm unable prayer, Lord. But, Father, I know you hear me because of who I am prayer. Help us, oh God. Thank you. We worship you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.